Bless the Lord, who forgiveth all our sins. His mercy endureth forever. Amen. Please be seated. Recently, Father Andrew and I were asked to speak to three different groups of persons, most of whom are struggling with some form of addiction. Taking the lead in these talks, I decided to look at the 12-step program so prevalent among those who struggle with addiction from a Christian perspective. And as I reread the 12 step the 12 steps of that particular program and as I presented with Father Andrew to each of these groups I realized that particularly when these steps are taken into the context of Christ how universal they are in their application I realized this speaks to me This speaks to others. After all, this is the Lenten theme. We are broken. We have no power of ourselves. But God, out of love for us, has sent his son Jesus to save us. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our woundedness, in our fallenness, in our frailty, the hand of God is reaching out to us in the person of Christ. Not because we have somehow earned it, but out of mercy and love. Out of a desire to see us lifted up and to be embraced by his love. And so I wanted to share with you the first three steps of the 12-step program as they are understood in the Christian context. Step number one, we have admitted that we are powerless over, in this case, alcohol and or drugs, but I will say sin. And that our lives have become unmanageable. I had a deacon, God rest his soul, in my former parish who was a recovering alcoholic and who led AA. He used to say, you know when an alcoholic is lying, his lips are moving. Well, if you believe that somehow you have power to deliver yourself from your sin, if you believe that you can bring order to your disordered lives on your own strength, then you are either deceived or you're lying. Because we are powerless over sin and its consequence, death. We have no power to deliver ourselves. Sin has made my life unmanageable. How many times 
have I come to realize that apart from the Lord, there is no, nothing good in me. How often I have realized how corrupt my own thoughts are. How corrupt and impure my heart is. How corrupt and impure my words are. How often I've come to realize just how powerless I am to deliver myself from sin. And so Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul writes, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. And this is St. Paul who is writing this. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me in my sinful nature. That is in my life apart from Christ. It's in Christ that we have worth. It is in Christ that we have value. It is in Christ that we have dignity. I have no dignity of my own. But in Christ I have all dignity. A dignity greater than the angels. I have no value of my own. But in Christ, I have great value. I have no worth of my own. But in Christ, I am no longer worthless. But I have great worth, and great value, and great dignity. But in my sinful nature, in my life apart from Christ, I have none. And yet in Him, I have everything. And yet how many times I choose the nothingness over the everything in Christ. Now I know that hasn't been a problem for any of you. It's been my problem. The fact is, is that we all do that. We all choose ourselves apart from Christ, so often apart from the everything that is offered in Christ. Why do we do this? Because what's familiar to us, we are able to identify with. And so we begin to walk with the Lord, and as soon as trial or tribulation or heartache comes, we immediately want to run back to what's familiar, even though it's to our detriment. The Israelites did this. God delivered them from slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. He brought them through the Red Sea and called them toward the Promised Land. But as soon as things started to get rough, where did they want to go? Did they say, let us not tarry here in the wilderness. Let us turn our hearts fully to the Lord and walk by, by the grace of God until that time we enter the Promised Land. They said, no. Let us go back to Egypt, where we were slaves and in bondage. Why would they do that? Because it's what they knew. It was familiar to them. And human beings identify with what's familiar. You know, like people who give up smoking. And then life gets rough. What's the first thing they do? Fall to their knees in prayer? Maybe, but as they're going down, 
right? Because we immediately want to go back to what's familiar to us. Now I pick on the poor smokers, but for me it's something else I turn to. For you it may be that or what I do or something else, but we all want to look back. But yet the Lord says repent. Repent doesn't mean going from being a sinner to being holy. It just means facing the right direction. How many of us so often face the wrong direction? We just need to repent, to turn our hearts towards God. And if we stumble and fall, if we cry out to him, he will lift us up. So often I tell my kids, no matter what you do in life or don't do, I will always love you. Nothing will change that. You can grow up and become a serial killer, going around poisoning people's cereals. <laughs> and I will still love you. That's the word of our Father. Our Father loves us not because we have earned it, not because we deserve it, but simply because He is love. And he pours out that love in the grace of his Son, Jesus Christ, which he offers to us while we are broken, while we are fallen, when we are stumbling. It is then that he comes to us and offers us everything in exchange for nothing. Paul admits, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot do it. We are not good, but he is. If you're going to spend your life trying to move from bad to good, from sin to saint, I got news for you. You're in for a lot of disappointment. You're going to be hitting your head against the wall the whole time. <laughs> I used to have padding up there. But if we turn from sin and trust not in ourselves, but in his grace and mercy, we shall be delivered from the sin, not by what we have done, but by what he has done, by dying for us and rising for us. That's it. That's all we have to do, is acknowledge that we can't do it, but that he has, and trust in him. Now sometimes we try to make ourselves feel better, not by relying on God, but by tearing other people down. You see, if I can tear... Karen down, I can lift myself up. And if I can get her down low enough, I might even be able to get my foot on her head and stand way up high. And then I can say, at least I'm not like Karen. Actually, I think I have said that. <laughs> okay, yeah. 
We tear others down in order to make ourselves feel elevated. But Paul tells us in Romans 3, 22b to 24, for there is no distinction, that is, in the eyes of God, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have fallen short. Don't try to raise you up, yourself up by stepping on the heads of others, for you are no greater than they are. I am no greater than you are. We all fall short. We're all broken. We're all fallen. And we should not judge one another. That is, you, I judge, as unworthy of God's grace. I got news for you. You're unworthy of God's grace. We're all unworthy of God's grace. That's why it's grace. Grace, by definition, is given when you don't deserve it. You don't have to step on the heads of others to raise yourself up. Christ shall raise you up. And he shall give you a dignity and a worth and a value that is greater than those of the angels. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, thou shalt not judge doesn't mean there's no right or wrong. There is right and there is wrong. And if I have fallen into the wrong and I'm enduring in that, my church family should come to me in love and share the truth in love. But judging is when we say, I'm better than you. You're no longer worthy of the Lord's grace. No, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if someone gives us a gift on our birthday, we somehow feel a little bit like we deserve it. Well, thank you. And if a husband gives his wife flowers on their anniversary, it somehow seems appropriate. But when a man comes home for no reason, as I do all the time, <laughs> and gives flowers to their wife, and the wife says, well, what, what's this about? What, why are you giving me these flowers? What did I do? And he says, nothing. I simply want you to know I love you. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Lord, I'm fallen. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm altogether yucky. And he says, I know. And I love you. And because you have chosen me, I shall raise you up. And I shall bestow upon you all worth and value and dignity just because I love you. Step number two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Now, sanity may be pushing it, but can at least restore us. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, well, we know who this power is, don't we? 
the power of God, which is ours in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have come to believe as Christians that the power of God and only the power of God, which is the grace of God, can restore us. We cannot restore ourselves. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Lord says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Thanks be to God. That means God's power is free to work in me at any time. Because I am always weak. God's power isn't made perfect in strength. God helps those who help themselves. No, God helps those who can't help themselves if they but trust in his grace and mercy. His power is made perfect in weakness. This is why Jesus, our Lord, made revealed the fullness of his power, his final blow against sin and death on the cross. When he was naked, beaten, broken, and dying. It was in his weakness that he delivered the final blow to sin and death. It's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. Romans 8, 26, <clears throat> 26. Romans 8, 26 to 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words have you ever been there have you ever been so overcome by your sin or have you ever been so overcome by your woundedness by the hurt that someone else has caused you or so weighed down by the struggles and the, the, the trials and tribulations of this world, that you couldn't even form words to pray to God. All you could do was cry or moan or sigh. Well, the Word of God tells us that in those moments, if we but offer those to the Spirit that He will intercede for us with sighs too deep for words. Even your moaning can be a prayer unto God by the Spirit of God. And then this goes on to say this verse, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to to his purpose. So no matter who has hurt you, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what brokenness has befallen your marriage or your home or your family or your body or your soul or your spirit, if you but love God and trust in him, 
He is already at work to work all things for good if you but love him. I don't always understand God. I don't always like the ways of God. There are times when I would like just to walk away and live in the flesh. But one thing I thank God for is that by His grace and mercy, I love Him. And I can't look upon Him crucified and not believe that He loves me. But here's the difference. He's worthy of my love. I'm not worthy of His. And the love that I offer Him, who is worthy of it, pales infinitely in comparison to the love that he has bestowed upon me who is not deserving of it. Thanks be to God. Who here has known woundedness or brokenness or sin or trial or tribulation or has felt like the weight of the world has been on your shoulders at one time or another? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you believe that the Lord loves you. Then I have news for you. He's already at work in the midst of all that garbage to bring good in your life. Not because I deserve it or you deserve it, but because he loves you. It's by grace that we are saved. Amen? Amen. Baptists. <laughs> Step three, we've made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God. We have made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God. That's a heck of a statement. I sometimes have to really ask myself, have I done that? Well, yeah, I've done it, but have I done it today? In one sense, we make a decision once and for all. In another sense, we have to make that decision every day to live no longer for ourselves, but for God. You've heard me say this before. You cannot take the vows of marriage and live like a bachelor. Almost 10 years ago, it will be 10 years this year, on September 28th, you'll be wild like you're surprised. Oh, ouch. Oh. Ouch? That's even worse. Has it been that painful? I cannot take vows before God and to Christine and then live my life as though I live as a bachelor and not for her. A man cannot join, or a woman, cannot join the Marines and live like a civilian. Nor can you give your life to Jesus and live like you're still in bondage to sin and death. But here's the difference. If I fall, Christine may or may not forgive me. Jesus always will. He always will. And so we must make a decision that we will walk with our God and decide that when we fall, 
we will repent by his grace and allow him to pick us up. The one thing we will not do is endure in sin and allow ourselves to return to Egypt. So it's not that we'll live a perfect life, but we will make a decision to either walk with our God or to repent by his mercy, not by our own deservings, but by his gift when we fail. I'm going to make that decision right now that I will either walk according to who I am in Jesus Christ or when I sin, I will repent of it. I'm going to make that decision right now. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the ordained ministers that are here and the prayer ministers to come forward and make a few stations over here by the rail. And I'm going to ask anyone who would either like initially or to renew their commitment to Jesus Christ to come forward for prayer. And we will lay hands upon you and we will pray for you in your commitment to either initially or new, make a decision today to walk with Christ. And when you fall, not if, but when, to repent and allow the Lord to pick you up and keep on walking. Because we're all fallen and we're all broken and there's no distinction. I am no holier and no greater than you. I am as broken and fallen and sinful as you are. But thanks be to God, it do, I don't have to count on myself for salvation. I have Jesus Christ.